people leaving the Christian faith. In light of recent celebrities Marty Sampson and Joshua Harris walking away from their faith in Christ, we need to examine the issue of apostasy because it is something which is not limited to celebrity status. It's something which affects church life at a very local level. So today we're going to discuss all of that and more. Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I'm not alone here in the studio. I've got several others with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Mike Proctor. Who is also a pastor. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to be talking about apostasy. And really to begin this conversation, we need to have a good working definition of apostasy. So the term apostasy, it comes from the Greek word apostasia, which means apostasy. It's almost an exact movement from the Greek to the English. And this means a defection, a departure, a revolt, or a rebellion. When it comes to the Christian faith, it is a willful falling away from faith. It is moving out of Orthodox Christianity. It is a rebellion or a revolt even against that. But it just basically means that willful moving out of the Christian faith. And apostasy, as for giving it a definition, I want to point out that it is not something like a moment of doubt. It is not the dark night of the soul, a perilous moment in your faith or some other time of doubt or any such perilous time where, where you really are having serious questions. Instead, apostasy is an outright turning away from the Christian faith and moving towards something else. One of the things that oftentimes people encounter in their faith is they do have moments of, of questions. God is big enough to handle your questions, and apostasy is not the same thing as that. And as we begin this conversation, I want to just go ahead and invite you to bear with us on this. We're not here to be petty. We're not here to deconstruct things for the sake of just being frivolous. We're not here to, to be people causing division. Um, if things actually do need to be addressed that are directly her heretical, we'll get there. But today we're not here to deconstruct or to be petty. The devil, to Diabolu, the diabolical one, wants us to get mad and divided over things like this. The tempter, the accuser, it desires us to be divided over stuff like conversations on apostasy because they require us to look at who we are in the church and be a little critical of ourselves. And a lot of times people really want to be divided over that. The tradition of Cain, which runs through us all and taints all of our souls, wants us to be upset and divided and get mad and turn off the computer and whatever. Just bear with us on this because we're not here to be small. We're here to try to be mature in our faith and actually come to some reasonable responses to apostasy. So today what we're going to be doing is we have four different forms of apostasy that I see going on in the church. And I want us to discuss them. And so I'm going to just present each form of apostasy, and then I'll let others here in the studio respond to each. So the first form of apostasy that I see happening is not things like we see with celebrities coming out on Instagram and Facebook and saying they're leaving, but it's just simply that people grow up in the church, and they don't stay in the church when they become adults. So this is people who have grown up in the church, and they leave the faith left and right after they come of age, and they have free will. We find that people do something a bit like pastor's kid syndrome, but it's also found in just the children of laity syndrome, where they've grown up in the church, but somehow that doesn't roll over into adulthood. So other pastors here in the room, what do y'all think about this, and what are we to do about it, this issue of people growing up in the church and not staying with it? Anthony? Um, I guess uh, being the youngest person in the room, <laughs> I'll, I'll open us up on this <laughs> and uh, just say that... Um, I think this is probably the most frequent form of apostasy that we see in the church today. 
is uh, people who, as youths, were confessing Christ and were attending church and youth groups and things and did not continue in that as adults. And um, I think that in large part, it is connected to the environment, the morality, and the culture set around many youth groups today. Um, Most of the time, it's not centered on actually serving and becoming more servant-like in regards to our relationship with Christ, but more so about what can Christ and God do for us. And, you know, it's sort of the whole system is sort of structured like that. What games can we play? What fun can we have? What trips can we go on if we attend church so many times? Things of that nature. And even the mission trips that you frequently go on or the church camps that you frequently go on, you know, you'll build uh, maybe flooring for a church for a few days. But one of those days, one of those days when you're on that mission trip, you and all your friends in the youth group are going to get to go to the mall or to the beach or something like that. And that happens pretty frequently. Um, And it sort of cheapens the whole experience. It makes it so that people are motivated, not simply to serve the gospel, but to get a trip out of the beach for it or something like that. Pastor Amanda? Yeah, and I think this is something, although definitely we see this uh, happening predominantly in the, the, our younger, um, the younger people. Sorry, I was going to, I don't know what I was going to say. Um, but I think we see, you know, to Anthony's point, you mentioned uh, mission trips. I know there was an opportunity a couple years ago that was brought before our church and we couldn't quite get things figured out, but we had a lot of people wanting to go because it was actually to a fairly um, resort-like destination. Um, We weren't going to a resort, but it's known for that kind of stuff. And we just, from all ages, we had this response of like, oh, I want to go there because, you know, there's a beach. I want to go there because there's cool classic cars. I want to go because the music and this and this and the food. And they, and like the first reason, no one's first reason was I want to go because I want to serve. Um, and I think this then we do see the consequence of this quite frequently is then when the hard things in life comes up uh, because their faith has never been nurtured or disciplined to be deep, to be deeply rooted. When hard stuff comes up, when just maturing and growing to life and no longer kind of relying on your parents, but being more self-reliant and trying to reach out into the world, you don't have, if you don't, if you were never given those structures to face those situations, then you're like, well, all Christianity is, all the churches is kind of this facade and you go out seeking something a little bit stronger, something a little bit more helpful. And and this is, I think, again, this is a quite, as, as Anthony said, this is one of the ones we see the most because of that, because it's something, we all have to grow up. We all are going to face difficult situations. It's a common thing of all human life. And so we're going to see this issue. If the church has not equipped believers to face those issues, then of course they're going to try to find that equipping somewhere else. Right, and we need to find our source of truth in the gospel. In in the truth in the gospel, it doesn't need to come in, what's the greatest vacation? Who? What youth pastor can eat a goldfish for me if I, I come to church? And even when it comes to our walk and our faith and the Christian walk we have, you know, we shouldn't be asking so much the question of what can I get now? What pie in the sky can I get? What can it do for me? But what can I do in service? What can I do as I mature? Because there is this idea that you've got to graduate from the shallow early steps that we take to making those deeper, those longer, swifter movements which go out and last people through the difficult areas of life. Anthony? Um, the sad thing is is that I'm not sure that we can say simply, yeah, Pastor Mike in pre- pre- preparing for this mentioned that, you know, it's often said this generation is living the faith and things of that nature. But the question really should be, what is the church doing that is pushing 
the generation away. And I think, honestly, it's not that we're not modern enough and we're not appealing to the generation. I think it's more along the lines of that we are denying the spiritual development and fulfillment by motivating um, the immature side of things. And by that, I just mean to say that it's almost like it's um, not uh, sort of being paid for, but sort of, for instance, if you pay someone to sit around all day, they're going to become lazy and entitled. And in many ways, we do that with our youth groups. We encourage them to be um, not so devoted and to uh, become entitled with the church. And I think something else, building off of what Amanda said concerning um, what happens with people who are going into apostasy, is that it's not just those who are growing out throughout youth, growing out of youth and looking for something more mature and stable, but there's also those who need their next emotional fix, who run out of the fixes that are to be had in the youth group culture and decide they need something greater and stronger and go in the opposite direction of that rather than finding something that's more fulfilling, finding things which are more and more superficial. Yeah, and I think to build off what Anthony said, the church should have aspirations, not desperations. <laughs> a lot of what goes on in sort of the youth group culture, and you see it in mission trip culture too, and not every mission trip, not every youth group is like that. Of course, there's um, exceptions, but the general predominant culture around these things, it has desperation. So it appeals to the lowest con- common denominator. Um, and I'm not here to beat up on stuff like the whole debrief, emphasize that, but it kind of says, get these emotions out. You need to live through this stuff when a lot of times it's exaggerating things that people should be maturing out of. And it's kind of appealing to that lowest common denominator. Instead of coming to people and say, no matter where you're at, we'll meet you and we're going to pull you up to the holiness of God. You know, the church should be offering something that the world can only imitate it best. You know, we are, we are called unto holiness. And if I were to bust out an organ right now, we would sing holiness unto the Lord because we're supposed to have aspirations. When, when we bring our young Christians, and that doesn't mean that you're a young person. You may just, you, you could be 100 years old and it may be your first day walking with Christ. When we bring our new Christians in, we need to bring them to a, a church that is offering something the world cannot, and that is aspirations to God, that we could be reconciled, brought back to God, and we could elevate ourselves, and we could be excellent in all areas of life because God has called us to. And I think that's one of the problems we have with that. They've, they've been brought up in a desperate theology that kind of appeals to the lowest common denominator and stays there and they haven't when it comes time to graduate that moment of desperation you know they just go out of the church because there was never anything up above them let's get on to the second form of of apostasy unless there's any other thoughts any other thoughts on that okay um well moving on to the next one um this is the apostasy of self-selection so this doesn't necessarily mean that people are leaving um a they're not well, I'll just get into it. This is the self-selection where people, they go from church to church, so maybe church hop or church shop, because their own personal expectations of what the church should be is not being met. And this may just be people who say, well, I don't go to church at all, but I, I believe, or I don't need to be part of the church or something to that effect. But this idea that says, my expectations of what the church should be were not met, so I am going somewhere else. And sometimes you see people say, well, I'm not a Christian anymore because they weren't doing this, this, or this, or I was surrounded by hypocrites or something. But what it essentially means is my expectations, me, was not satisfied. Therefore, I went somewhere else. So it's this kind of my expectations take priority. 
What are our thoughts on that? Anthony? Um, I think there's definitely a certain amount of due diligence and serving in good faith that you have to do. And by that, I just mean to say, you know, um, I'm not just going to completely devote myself to any given church. But on the flip side of that, it is the church which should be placing expectations on its members and not necessarily um, the other way around. We're called to be disciples and servants, which means that we are following in the course of authority that Christ has set. And so I can't just as a new Christian show up and be like, well, now I'm in charge and I'm going to start telling you all how things are done here. You know, that's not actually being a servant. That's not being a disciple. And like I said, um, we have to be serving in good faith. I can't just enable any sort of wrongdoing that there is around me and call myself a servant. But on the flip side of that, if I'm going to be a servant, if I'm going to be a student and a disciple of Christ, then I have to be willing to give those who are the followers of Christ and who have been matured and spiritually quickened uh, authority over me in some sense. And another angle of this is if the leadership in the church is not doing what they should do, and like it's clear there's a problem there, then they need to be held accountable. So this, this works both ways. Say the leadership is putting expectations on you, but there's a problem with things going on there. Well, then the laity need to hold the leadership accountable. Don't just uh, leave. Yeah, don't just leave. Hold churches. I mean, things can get to the point. You know, if people are smuggling, you know, cocaine and blue jeans to to Africa and saying it's a mission trip, you know, that, that might be a time to say, well, this isn't Christianity, I'm leaving. But overall, we need to hold standards, both up the ladder and around us everywhere. Pastor Mike? Uh, you know, I think one of the, the things sometimes I hear from people who are, uh, I guess the right words, church hopping, and they maybe got disgruntled with the congregation, and, and then they come and maybe they're visiting and, and checking us out. And it's always, uh, you know, a, a concern when they say, well, you know, I, I left there because I wasn't being fed. And, of course, you know, that's the goal, I think, for every pastor is to feed the congregation. So you got to create an atmosphere. But, on, on the, you know, if you create the atmosphere and you have, you know, reading plans and the gospels being preached and um, there, there are small groups and things of accountability, then the that there are places to to feed, but you know, as as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't always make it drink. And so there is the side that makes you wonder: Are they willing, or is it like this apostasy here? It's me. It has to be what I want, and not just there's not a structure here. That there are there are some congregations, like Dylan said, that have gotten uh, leadership that has gotten corrupt that is not feeding the congregation. So that's one that you have to. Uh, look into because there are serious uh, and uh, you know truthful sayings that says I wasn't being fed but for the most part that's generally something that has to be uh, checked into a little deeper a lot of times in my experience I've seen it people being I it, I wasn't being fed because of it wasn't how I wanted to be fed you right. see that too um, my expectations were not there Pastor Amanda well and I think kind of as we're talking about this when it becomes necessary maybe when when something is so bad um, that you have to leave a specific congregation um, I think still discipline is in order and oh, the reason yeah. I bring yeah. that up is to say um, when I've heard of people who, who have decided for I think legitimate reasons to leave their their congregation they gave themselves a timeline of by this mm. time we will be 
we will make a decision and we will be part of a new faith community. And what that helped them do was not just kind of wander aimlessly around. And so there has to be discipline within the individual. There has to be discipline within the congregation, within the leadership, within the denomination, within the church universal, where we say, okay, if there are issues that happen, we're not going to let these issues basically force us out or, or lead us to apostasy. We're going to make these strides uh, to still fellowship and be a part of the body of Christ. And so that is, that's a different orientation than this apostasy. This apostasy says, look at self and yourself only versus this discipline says, we do need to evaluate ourselves, but ultimately that is within the connection of the church universal and within the nature of God. Yeah, and that, that's a very healthy place to be. Um, as you said, if somebody's doing it, they've got standards and expectations. You know, making those commitments are going to last people, and that's that's a sign that there's actually some maturing going on there. All right, so any other thoughts on this before we get to our third form of apostasy? None? All right. Well, carrying on, then there is the straight-up standard apostasy where someone comes out and they say, look, I was of the faith. I'm not anymore. The spirit of the age, whatever persuasion is given me, I am giving back to the spirit of the age. Because it's interesting, there's always this notion that you can truly be atheistic or agnostic. I haven't really found that to be true. People always have something at the top of their moral compass. It's either going to be God, you know, the Lord God who spoke creation into existence, or it's going to be government, it's going to be celebrities, it's going to be something gives you a moral compass. You cannot have morality without faith in something. And people, they find their morality in something. Even people who have antisocial personalities, like they're a psychopath, their morality is usually guided by their own interest. There's going to be something at the top, whether it's yourself or the God of Israel. And so there's the standard apostasy where people, they say, the spirit of the age is so appealing, I'm going to it. It's been going on for a long time. And that's really very standard. Um, any thoughts on that before we go on to the next one, Pastor Amanda? Well, I think just real quick, uh there might be, and this is not to say that there aren't causes and some various things that might feed into it. And maybe uh, the apostasies we talked about earlier, one and two, might feed into this third one a little bit. But, and I think sometimes we try to explain away things. We try to find like the motivation in there. It definitely are, again, there's, um, there are things that happen and therefore then consequences. But I, I think, again, we have to recognize people are of free will. And yep. at some point they may decide to use that free will to leave the church and to leave the faith. Um, and that's not necessarily to say um, that they are beyond God's grace or that they are beyond really the church being able to do and work better. But we have to understand that sometimes people make these choices. And, and the reason I bring that up with this one is the other two we talked about a little bit. And then later on in this session, we'll talk about some responses we can have. Um, but there is times, again, this is not to say we give up. But there are times when people choose to leave and we could have done everything right and it still happened. Yep. And so this should not be something where we kind of blame ourselves. We need to learn, see where we can grow and do better the next time. But we also have to allow people to use their free will. And again, that doesn't mean we give up on them. Doesn't mean we, you know, just shake the dust off of our feet. Although that may be something that needs to be done later on. But we do tell them, listen, the doors are already open. But for you to come back, you have to come back repentant yeah, with repentance yeah. and so that's something that is an attitude again the church needs to be disciplined in knowing um how to react to these very different apostasies and because how you respond to one person dealing with one thing is going to be different than someone dealing with something else sure pastor mike well i think a lot of times in in that you know uh, it's a a bad theology that says you know 
uh, I become Christian, everything should be, you know, just great. Well, it's not always the case. We still go through trials, and uh, you know, so you're, it, you know, that's part of it. it so um, I think a lot of times um, it it would help if they start with a very good grounded theology. But uh, in the world that we live in, you know, there's so many different types of of religions really that that follow under the name Christianity and Christ Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anthony? Um, to y'all's point, I think it is something that should be said that uh, the church is not responsible for all apostates. I think in some sense the church should take some responsibility for um, the for some apostasy, apostasy but uh, on the flip side of that, it is not responsible for all of it. It is a personal decision. And a lot of people, I think, are of the mindset that says, um, you know, once saved, always saved. And so once you're saved, you really can't fall from grace and things like that. Um, the Church of the Nazarene, I believe, does believe that you can fall from grace. And outwardly, I think uh, we have that written out explicitly. Yes. yes. And yes. Um, yes. beyond that, uh, I think you can see examples of, of this happening. Um, in the epistles of John, it's written that those who have taken to the spirit of the Antichrist after they have walked with us and heard what we have heard, these were ones who committed apostasy. Um, there's also, so the, many of the epistles of John address that, but also, you know, you can see Judas who was with Christ in the flesh, saw the miracles happen and yet, uh, turned away from him. And some people like to argue that maybe like Judas was meant to be, and it was still part of God's plan and things of that nature. But I think at the end of the day, Judas felt so bad about what he did. He committed suicide and returned the money. So I think, um, you could definitely say that his turn away from Christ was genuine and Judas was a genuine apostate and so um you know i think that there is very good logical and scriptural evidence for the idea that people can turn away from christ after they have turned to him yeah and tried to return the money judas went back to to try to undo what he had done and found that he couldn't um it wasn't just so easy as turning money back in uh but yeah so continuing on with this so to Anthony's point, the church is not responsible for all apostates. There is an element where certain cultures in the church facilitate apostasy yep. because it's not giving people the fortification around it. And I think so far, and again, we're not here to deconstruct. We're just here to, to look at ourselves and say kind of where a lot of modern youth group culture, a lot of missions culture, it's not facilitating a lot of theological rigor. It's not facilitating a lot of spiritual maturity. It's kind of this mentality of come and see what can be done for you. And when we mean done for you, we don't mean like growth in the sense of spiritual maturing, but it usually means and some sort of emotional response. And it kind of suggests that God is a figment of, of emotion rather than something which is actually there. It's sort of a subjective thing. And that's that's really bad. Um, this is what the, the lead, skiller, lead singer of Skillet was coming out saying. He said, we have not done well to teach our new Christians the truth of the gospel. We've been giving it to them through modern praise songs. We've been teaching them that God is a feeling rather than God is something of, of hard truth that is not subjective. We can't explain the nature of God, but that doesn't mean it gets to be whatever you want it to be. There's a difference between something being unexplainable and something being subjective. All right, so let's go on to our fourth and final version of apostasy that we see today. And this one's a little bit different because it is when you have people in the church who they leave orthodox beliefs, but they stay in the church. So this is the form of apostasy where it seems to be occurring, 
where people, they're leaving what is orthodox, meaning correct revelation of God. They're leaving what is correct teaching of the church, but they are staying in the church. Our coin term is apostasy from orthodoxy. Uh, you know, T or R, whatever you need to put next to it. Trademark. Uh, yeah, <laughs> trademark, kingdom of the Logos. Well, I'm not here to make buzzwords, but an example <laughs> of this, we covered, it was either a year before last or last year, I can't remember, but the, the pastor in Canada that came out and said, there's no father, no son, no Holy Spirit, and was an atheist in the church for like decades and stayed there and tried to pull the church to an atheistic direction. You know, that's an apostasy of orthodoxy. Pastor Amanda? Well, and I think also kind of on, so that was obviously the example you shared of the pastor in Canada. That's kind of a, a very big and, and obvious one. But I think um, even in, in, well, whatever size church, large or small, we see people who stay within the life of the church because they enjoy the life of the church, but they do not want the commitment. And what I mean is um, mm. there is some power that can be had at church. Like you can be a board member, you can influence different things, you can start programs, and you can make yourself feel better because you're being kind of... Um, uh, not entrepreneurship. What am I trying to say? Uh, but you're 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 trying to be humanitarian. You're helping altruistic. people. Thank you, altruistic. Um, and so there's these things that can be done that makes you feel good. And again, you like this life of the church. You like kind of the the mood, the sense of it. But you're not really willing to that surrendering, that transformation, yeah. that servanthood. And so I think this apostasy again, it's very uh, subtle. Um, it is it, subtle. It can be it can be something as obvious as yeah. a pastor saying. Obviously, like she went out and said it, uh, I do not believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it can also be done kind of less, uh, less obviously where people say, oh, yeah, I, I come to this church every time the doors are open. But my motive, in, even though they won't say this, if you watch their life close enough, their motivation is not to be there because they wish to be a part of the family of God. It's because it fulfills some kind of emotional need. And yeah. I think the church then needs to kind of be like, all right, what's that emotional need? And how can we direct you towards the appropriate uh, counselors or um, emotional help that you, you need. And I'm not yeah. being flippant with that. I'm, I'm saying that very seriously. We have to recognize that within the life of the church. Um, but I think we have to be very careful. And even as ministers, all four of us in here are ministers. We have to make sure when we do things, why we're doing them. Yeah. And, um, and some days, yeah, it's like I'm doing this because this is the only thing I know to do. Um, I'm not quite sure I'm skilled to to do anything else. If there was a zombie apocalypse, I'd be the first one to go. But at the same time, no, my, my truest motivation is because God has called me and I wish to participate in the life of God. And to your point earlier, um, which in the show prep, Amanda is the one who wrote the, the whole line about apostasy is not the same thing as a dark night of the soul where you have a moment of questioning and doubt. That's not what apostasy is. Apostasy is I am here or I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the Christian faith, whether I stay in the church or not. Um, because I, I don't want that. And when we look at this apostasy of orthodoxy, I think the hallmark of it is people who really like what the church does, but they don't like what the church is. Like I'm here. I like the programs. I like being on the board. I like being the pastor of a church and getting to get in front of people and say, there's no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we're going to do all this stuff because we're good. We're altruistic. We like what the church does, but we don't want to deal with the truth of what the church is. Anthony? Um, it sounds like this form of apostasy ranges all the way from heretic to uh, maybe um, active pew sitter. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> To no pew sitter. Just leave altogether. Um, but gosh. in any case, uh, I think that the 
I'm not going to lie. I totally lost my thought. That's kind of embarrassing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fine. We'll move on. And Pastor Mike, finish this with this question before we get into our scripture and our response to apostasy and some solutions. Again, this is not to deconstruct. We're going positive places. We have hopes and aspirations here. Pastor Mike, is there a place for restoration after apostasy? Absolutely. The Church of the Nazarene does not believe in once saved, always saved. And so we don't believe in once apostatized, always apostatized. That, that you know, the grace of God... Uh, once one falls, uh, we can be restored. Uh, there requires repentance, and that means uh, confessing to Christ and turning and aligning ourselves with the the uh, kingdom of God and the way we're supposed to live under Christ and, and seeking transformation to be uh, in that journey of Christ-likeness. And so, um, you know, with that being said, there is that, that continual desire and pursuit of holiness that, that we are called to. Um, I think the understanding of, of once saved, always saved, sometimes you, you think, well, they apostatize, they, you know, they can't come back. Um, you know, God's grace is tremendous. And yeah. so where, you know, Paul even writes, you know, should, you know, then if we can sin and apostatize, should we just, you know, and, and God's grace abounds, does that give us the, the uh, you know, get out of sin card um, and just go ahead and sin all we want? By all means, no, Paul says. We are called to that holiness and, um, you know, continual transformation. Yeah, and we're not the ancient heretics, Montanus, Maximilla, and Priscilla who's, of course, not the Priscilla from the New Testament, but the ancient heretics who said, hey, you come to know Christ and you screw up, well, guess what? The fires in hell are hotter for you. <laughs> it would have been better that you never believed at all because then you would be in a hot but not so hot hell. But if you came here and screwed up even once, the hottest hell fires possible well, for you. That, that, that is not good theology. That does not even align with our scriptures if we read no, it does uh, not. Uh, no. the people of God the story. <laughs> no. uh, there has been several mistakes and uh, by God's grace they have been um, brought into right relationship. Sure, again. sure. And again, yeah. So, all right, let's get into some scripture. So, Charles Spurgeon, who's not part of scripture, <laughs> states this concerning apostasy. The first step astray is a want for adequate faith in the divine inspiration of the sacred scriptures. In looking carefully over the history of times and the movement of the times, of which we have written briefly, the fact is apparent that where ministers and Christian churches have held fast to the truth that the holy scriptures have been given by God as authoritative and infallible rule of faith and practice, they have never wandered very seriously out of the right way. They've never wandered very seriously as long as they've realized that God's truth is revealed to us through what is orthodox and through our holy scriptures. When we look at scripture, one of the questions that, uh, I believe it was Marty Sampson, not Joshua Harris, I can't remember, one of the people who recently apostatized, yeah, it was Marty Sampson, had come out saying, you know, what about all these contradictions in scripture? Well, one of the things, a lot of times people aren't taught that scripture is dynamic, and by dynamic we mean there's a lot of different writing styles. They come from different pieces of the history of the people of God. They serve different roles. Again, a genealogy serves a different role than a psalm. A gospel is different from a Pauline epistle. The book of Genesis is different from the times of King David. So we look at throughout the Bible and it's dynamic. It has different roles. It has different writing styles and a lot of different stuff. And we have to understand that scripture, it is revealing the, the will of God and it is without error in its ability to lead us to salvation. Yes, there are some things in there which are written differently. 
Um, it has largely been unedited. You do find some weird things grammatically and whatnot in there. But there actually kind of makes it more beautiful that nobody throughout history has been largely so arrogant that they say we're going to edit all of this to fit it like we want to. Scripture is mostly unedited as we get it now, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, those little things in there that people look at and say, oh, well, this and that, what do you do about that? If you have a dynamic understanding of Scripture, a lot of times that gets cleared up. Anthony? Well, I will say concerning uh, what you said with the um, various manuscripts that we have that match together of, of uh, early Scripture copies and things, um, you know, it comes from a mindset which is that we're giving authority to the Word of God rather than having the authority ourselves to interpret what's right and wrong alone, yeah. you know? And honestly, the people who have edited Scripture throughout history are labeled and very, very obviously heretics. And yeah. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, these people said some crazy, ridiculous things about yeah. God and about what they wanted to do to the church and things of that nature. And um, to be yeah. honest, you can tell something ain't right about them. A, but a, <laughs> a lot of people who want to edit scripture turn out to be like James Bond villains. Like that's like the level of like crazy that these people go to. I mean, Marcion is one of my favorites to talk about. Simon, you got a lot of interesting early people who come out and like, I'm going to control the minds of everyone on this earth for thousands of years to come. For all eternity, I will destroy the church. I will destroy her. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> the people who edit scripture really do have, they have hopes and dreams too. I mean, they, they're, but, but they're evil. They're wicked. Uh, Pastor Mike. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, the, the authoritative uh, stance that we take on scripture is not uh, to me misunderstood for those who play games with scripture and they'll use that same phrase to abuse it. I am a, a, a firm believer and pra a practitioner of historical critical methods which look at the history of the text, the, his the, the text, uh, the world behind the text, the world in, te in, in the text and in front of that. And I know that's a lot to say for those who are not uh, familiar with that method, but it, you know, when, when the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to a people, he is writing a letter. That's what it is. And it shouldn't be taken out of context to prove uh, somebody's own point of view. But let's let the dynamic part of Scripture speak to us uh, yeah. as it... Yes. Yeah, and, it, and it's very beautiful. Pastor Mike, why don't you lead us into some scripture and read out of First uh, Timothy 4 and just really this first verse. Would you mind reading that? Yes, I'd be glad to. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Yeah, and what we find here, people are always tempted by the spirit of the age. This is not new. Um, so many times we want to say we've got new problems in the church. There are new manifestations of old problems. Like even having shallow cultures in the church is not new. I mean, that's been going on for a long time. Having things which aren't taking people to a level of spiritual and theological depth that it needs to, you know, these things are not new. Um, and here in Timothy, there's this statement that says there are people who are going to renounce their faith and they do it. Why? Like I love the explanation. They pay attention to the deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Now, just taking that to where we're at, we live in a day, again, people are going to find something to be the God of their life. Um, politics, government, celebrities, a lot of these, I think government has become, I don't even say government, but the, poli the politics of the U.S. has become such at the top of people's like scale. They look at it. It's, well, it's, part of their, it's part of their moral system now. Oh, yeah, it is. Does this line up with my political party? You know, that's not who we're called to be as the church. And I can just go ahead and tell you, so pastor, the less you were involved in that, the, the happier life will be. 
Um, that is not where you're ever going to find fulfillment. Um, no political leader is ever going to bring you the, the fulfillment that, that God can. Like, that's just the truth of it. So you hear of this spirit of the age, and even whether it be paganism of old, come and sacrifice and we won't throw in you the amphitheater, or, hey, you want to be a celebrity? You can come do all this stuff, but, you know, renounce those Christian views and come over here and we'll have a good time. We'll quit calling you names if you'll come. That's usually how demons and these deceitful spirits work. They say, well, we're going to torment you. We're going to falsely depict you. We're going to say all sorts of nasty things. You watch even something like the old Exorcist movie and you see, like, that's what the demon does. It, like, taunts people. It calls them names. And people are like, I want all that to stop, so I'll just give in. I'll, I'll go along with you. Pastor Mike, would you pick up for us now? in then chapter 4 but let's read verses 4 through 16 if we could or 11 through 16 I'm sorry yeah, out of chapter 4 first Timothy uh, I'll begin at verse 11 these are the things you must insist and teach you must insist on these and teach them let no one despise your youth but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love in faith in purity until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which has given to you through the prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. One of the, the things which is beautiful about this, so many times we hear this quoted to say, you know, don't despise you in your youth, and that's kind of used as a, a justification, but you're not to take that out of context. You know, just because someone is young doesn't mean they can't be spiritually mature, though a lot of times that may be the case. But what we find is, it's not about how old you are. It's about these are the things which you need to be doing. These are the ways you need to be maturing, to, to be developing, to be reading the scriptures, to be teaching, to have the right practices, the right disciplines, to devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. This is an idea that there's spiritual maturing, there's growth, there's a development that is going on there, and that's very important. And one of the questions that have been thrown out there are... Um, about apostates who had follows the advice of Paul and did they still apostatize? Pastor Mike, you want to respond to that before we move on? Okay, state the question again. Um, were there any apostates that have followed Paul's advice and that still apostatized? I'm sure there probably are, um, but at the end of the day, if we follow Paul's advice, I can't personally think of anyone who has conducted themselves in, in studying of the scripture um, in hearing of the word and progressing, uh, I can't think of a single apostate in my ministry that has fallen when they have followed the uh, advice of uh, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Well, let's get to some response, and let's start to move towards wrapping things up. So one of the things that I have, and I'm just going to propose these and let the, the crew here respond to them. In responding to apostates and to even things with these public Christian celebrities coming out and losing their faith, we need to do certain things, and one of those is learn to make distinctions. We should have unity in essentials and liberty in non-essentials. We need to learn to make a distinction between things that are essential and things which are non-essential. What do y'all think about that? Any thoughts? Well, I think this one um, can be difficult for many because then you also have to make a distinction on what is an essential and what isn't, uh, or what is a non-essential. 
Um, and this is where conversation needs to happen. And again, referencing what we talked about Wednesday with the um, the the musician who said, you know, had all these questions, but no one ever talked about them. I wonder if he ever talked to his minister or his ministry team about it, how much that could have helped. And so as we go into these, what is the distinction? What What is an essential? What do we have to be completely loyal to? What What is non-optional? And, um, you know, we've talked about the Apostles' Creed. That's a really good basis of what is essential. Yeah. Um, scripture. Now, again, Scripture is dynamics. You have to have a good study of it. You can't just pick a verse out and beat someone over the head with it and say, this is my essential. But still, Scripture is a good measuring stick. Um, and then the non-essentials, many times non-essentials when we talk about that, we're talking about methodologies, not the message, but methodologies of delivering the message. Yep. And those are generally more more often than not, those are not, although there are some like just generally universally bad methods, like um, you could probably grow your church if you said, come here and we'll give everyone a hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, your numbers would maybe increase for a Sunday or two, but that's obviously not a good method yeah. either. But and most times, methodologies are considered non-essentials. Yeah. Um, Anthony? Um, you know, I think there's a common notion going around today that the forcing of unity is what is going to result in apostasy. And I actually think today, and just to elaborate on that, for instance, you know, what I mean by that is just that, you know, if you try to clarify more orthodox beliefs with a believer who let's say maybe they're raising the importance of music too high or perhaps they have a belief belief about god which goes against the apostles creed but rather than challenge that and try to bring some greater maturity out of them um instead letting it sit and say well if i challenge that then it's just going to drive them away from the church yeah and so i think there's sort of this notion that says you know where if we were to enforce unity in the church then we'll just be pushing people away yeah I think actually we live in a time where it is the opposite. And maybe in some places and at some points in, in time, that was true. But I think today, too frequently we allow for too much liberty in essentials. There's, yeah, there's, where, there, where scripture doesn't provide any. Yeah. And I think that were we to choose to align ourselves more frequently with the theology, the ethics, the morality centered around things like the Apostles' Creed and well-rounded, contextually studied um, uh, excerpts of scripture, we would actually see a lot more strength within the church. And I, th I think we'd see the opposite of well, apostasy. The thing we'd is, see is people that turn their hearts to God. It's not unity in the abstract. It's unity in essentials. And, and you know, you could rephrase that to say loyalty to essentials and then having some liberty in the things which are non-essential. So let's go on along to the next one. So there are things that the church does, and then there is the nature of what the church actually is. And this is an important distinction to make. The church is not a social club, but there is fellowship that goes on there. What do y'all think about that? Making a distinction between what the church does versus what it is. Pastor Mike? Well, I believe that the, as we looked at earlier in Jason Vickers' uh, book, I think it's been a, um, a few uh, podcasts ago, but you know, we, the, the church is not accidental, but it is actually active and involved in the saving uh, work that as as an instrument of God in the lives of the people, and so um, you know it's not just a gathering or a social club where we gather without any purpose, but you know the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, and uh, you know there's there's I, I uh, referring back to the questions where no one is talking about it. I don't know a single 
uh, pastor in my circle that would not sit down with one of his congregants and talk about any uh, anything, to be honest, but it may not be the words they want to hear. And they may say, well, they're not talking about it because they're not, it's not the response they want. Uh, but at the same time, the, 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 where I'm at, it's, uh, the circle of pastors that I know, they treat uh, their congregants like their family members. Yeah. Um, so as far as what the church does versus mm -hmm. what it is, I know earlier we were talking about like youth group and mission mm -hmm. culture. This is one of the places where that becomes really a big problem and people apostatize because they think, well, that's just what the church yes. must be. It's nature rather than what it does. Mm -hmm. Something like we have here in our district, the whole TNT. Well, I guess it's just all the way around the south. Yeah. Um, Trevecca's region. Well, and, and I think they do it actually all across the U.S. So um, ENC has their own version of it. Yeah. Point Loma has its own version. So it's, it's quite quite predominant in, in the U.S. Well, this is a thing where, again, sports competitions, music-related events, they're fine. But that's something the church does, not what the church is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people get excited. They're like, this is how we get the youth involved. This is how we do it. But you've got to have stuff for the youth where you show them the nature of the church and not just teach them that things like a music competition or a sports competition, you know, come and we'll see who the best people are that can play and we'll all throw you together. That is not what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. It is something the world can't imitate. You can have a sports competition. You can have a, a music get together. You can have music lessons outside the church. Those are all things the secular world can do. But the thing that the secular world can't do is be the body of Christ. Well, I and think... I think a lot of times, too, you know, the, the, the body of Christ um, is the family of God, and so we live in the household of God. And so yep. uh, a lot of times we, we the church has been um, sometimes wrong by being nice. And so, we you know, we're to be kind and, have, and compassionate to one another, but sometimes niceness is not the right thing. If I have a child that's going to run out in the street and get run over and hit by a car, I'm going to I'm going to really run out there and grab him. And it's not maybe not hey please come back you know or whatever. And it's it's not so much nice in that moment. And so we have sometimes I think misinterpreted the gospel as being nice. And and nowhere do I see in scripture that Jesus you know tells us to just be nice. Uh, and, you know, in fact, I think if you look at a lot of the statements that Jesus makes with people, sometimes they're not very nice statements uh, in its context. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. Pastor Amanda? Well, and I think this is where, to, to steal a line from Dr. Hoskins, this is where we differentiate between unconditional love and God's unfailing love. And so, so God does love abundantly and freely and loves all, but there are conditions to that love. And that love is you got to act right. Um, is if you're going to be, as uh, Pastor Mike said, the family of God, if you're going to be a part of a family, you got to abide by family rules. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that, um, and I think a lot of times as Wesley and Arminians, we get picked on by other traditions saying, well, God just kicks you out when he don't like you or when you mess up. And that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is there may come a time when you've decided, I don't want to live by the household rules. And you yourself uh, pack up your things and walk out the door. God's love does not stop chasing after you, but God does not force God's self on you either. You get to choose whether you stay or go. Yep. And so God's love is unfailing. There are conditions, but it is unfailing love. Anthony? Well, I think uh, the single most named condition has to be faith. And, you know, as James says, um, faith without works is dead. We, we, have, we live with this idea that faith is only belief alone, but 
we've lost the notions that faith is something almost like due diligence, where there's this covenantal relationship with God, an agreement which is made between us, his love and our love for him. And so I think that it is about faithfulness. And if you are truly faithful to God, then that also means the way that you act, what you do, what you say, uh, and the way that you feel about a lot of things is going to be different than if you don't love God. And so to, to, to be unfaithful to God is to turn away from him. And this would be a violating condition of that covenant. You would be violating the faith which was promised. And so um, I think there's that. And then onto this idea of um, there are things the church does and there is the nature of what the church is. I think this is something, honestly, that we need to have reconciled with what we do because we as a church, we sell what we are frequently by what we do. And that's just how people learn it. People learn about what the church is by what it is the church is doing. And too frequently, we allow people to stay in the superficial levels of what the church does rather than elevating them up and bringing them to a place of greater faithfulness and servitude with what they do. Very good. Um, So a few other thoughts, and then we'll go to some areas of fortifying your mind. So there's a difference between a messenger and a message. That's just an important distinction to make. Also, there are things which are unexplainable, but that doesn't mean that they are subjective. Just because something can't be explained doesn't mean you get to decide what it is for yourself. There's a truth out there in the world, and even if you can't explain it, that just doesn't mean that it's subjective. All right, so let's get to some points about what can you do to fortify your mind. And I want to start by saying this. Don't be polluted, no, polluted, <laughs> polluted by the desire for celebrities and reliance on macro solutions, so big-scale solutions. People always want, they want Facebook trends, Facebook movements. That's how they kind of feel like they want to get things done. But realistically, the adventure of holiness starts in your home. God comes, and with the nation of Israel, he comes to Abraham and Sarah out in the wilderness and says, get up. Come, you go out. I'm going to take you to the promised land. We get this wonderful call to adventure there. We find Jesus with the advent there with Mary and Joseph. An angel comes and tells these people, go ahead, get married. You're going to raise the son of God. You know, this is a big thing. And it starts with, you know, sometimes just a few disciples, then maybe 12 disciples. And then you have the, the early church and it grows. But the adventure of holiness starts in your home. So as we look at the issue of of Christian culture, which does need some reform right now, like it desperately does. One of the things which so much bothers me is that in the Protestant world, we have these different forms of apostasy, and we're always kind of like, well, we'll just cut and split and create a new denomination. (laughs) Me was not happy with the way church was done, so I'll start my own place. We're not loyal to the calling and nature of the church, and that's really a terrible thing. But we have to we have sound mind. We've got to fortify our minds and say, it doesn't start with a big Facebook trend. It doesn't start with a celebrity affirming me. It doesn't start with some big giant picture solution. It starts with what I can do here in my life. God can work in our lives as individuals and throughout the history of the people of God, God has been working through individuals to get things done. So the first thing I want to start with is hold your leaders accountable. What do you all think about that? I know this is one that Anthony had proposed earlier, just holding leaders accountable. I would just say that I think this is important because um, too frequently we sit back and uh, just allow, specific, I'll just say specifically, like for instance, I go to school at Trevecca Nazarene University. There are just so many things all the time that I see that are straight up unorthodox 
that are leading people away from remaining faithful in the context that we've been speaking and erring more on the side towards, you know, a religion of sensation and encouraging people to do things for the good that they're going to feel and sort of um, focusing on the person rather than focusing on God and uh, focusing on self-based motivations rather than being motivated by the Word of God and by our faithfulness and love for God. And um, a lot of times it's very haughty as well. It says that we're good enough to decide what is right and wrong and what has been shown unto us by God is subpar at this point. We're ready to progress beyond that now. And I think that's a, there's a huge flaw in that logic well, whenever we start a, to say that. There's a narcissistic element that's been in the church for a long time that says, and you, you hear it manifest in statements like, Scripture belongs to the community, which I've heard a lot of people say that. And really what they mean is, we get to interpret however we want. But really, if they were self-aware and knew what those words meant, they would say, well, in the kingdom of God, we're a family. And families, they last for generations. So you've got you know, thousands of years of spiritual ancestors. And they, too, they have a role to play in who we are as believers, and we shouldn't discount that. We shouldn't be so arrogant or narcissistic to think that we know more than the thousands of years of believers that, that came before us. Um, so, Amanda, did you have something? Well, I was just going to say that um, in holding leaders accountable, sometimes there's a difficulty because, um, well, there are leaders, and we feel like, like we kind of des- they deserve our uh, obedience but um we, this like to what pastor dylan said is if it's really a family then there there is this idea that communication and discussion can happen and it doesn't immediately have to be like you know picking on or grumbling because your ds did this or because your pastor did this or the gs did that it's not grumbling it's serious hey i've got a question about this and it could be even like, hey, am I wrong? Like, did I misunderstand what was going on in this situation? Can you help me? And it is through that discussion that hopefully both you and the leader can find accountability. And that uh, again, the church is going to outlast all of us. It just is. It was here long before us and it will come, it will outlast all of us. Um, and it will outlast even our leaders and our trends. But we have to participate in the kingdom of God. And that means having those conversations and those tough conversations about what it means to, to do that. And it, it, it is difficult. And I think also um, kind of going back to our earlier statement about the me- message is different than the messenger. We do emotionally get tied a lot with messengers. And it's I think it's okay when these people fall, like Hill, the Hillsong singer or the writer, for us to kind of be like, oh, that's sad. That's that's an okay reaction. But to somehow say that our faith has been destroyed because of them, then obviously some priority things have gotten out of whack. And the same thing with holding our leaders accountable. We have to say, you're a part of the family. Let's have this talk um, instead of just like grumbling and, you know, wandering the desert for 40 years because we can't get along with one another. Yeah, I would just like to add to that, you know, that leaders are are uh, people who provide order and structure. And, you know, it is God who does the work. And so for, for leaders, um, either for me or at the school or different um, parishioner, I mean, uh, different congregations, the leaders uh, provide that structure, that order for God to work in. And when that happens, I like to say it's creating an atmosphere for God to work. Uh, at the same time, that's that's different, I think, from saying we create a mood. But um, nonetheless, that moves into the next question, right? Yeah, and 
we have to have a an understanding. If you want to fortify your mind, mature an understanding and realize that life in the church is not a mood. I really hate that modern church culture is dominated by this mood. And it's a mood that doesn't have a lot of aspirations, but it is just has desperations, and that's just terrible. So if you want to fortify your mind, realize that you have to mature in understanding. Have emotional discretion and have aspirations. Have hope. Have aspirations. Look for where you want to be in the course of your walk with God. You know, Amanda earlier was talking about how if you are having to leave a place because of extraneous circumstances, have goals. Have aspirations. Have a plan. Pastor Amanda? Well, I was just going to say, you know, um, in our congregation at Nashville Trinity, we've been going through the Nazarene Essentials and been talking about these characteristics of, of the Nazarene denomination, about evangelism and discipleship and church planting. And uh, the theme that has kind of been brought up in the midst of those conversations is disciplines. And so what are personal disciplines and community yep. disciplines that we hold apart? And so when we say mature in understanding, you may be going, how do I mature in understanding? You read your Bible. You pray. You participate in, in fellowship with other believers. Uh, you you fast. You participate in communion, in baptism, though baptism is a one is a one time event. You you participate in these sacraments. Mm. You sing worship songs. That's the other thing. I, I know we're kind of picking on, or not picking on, but we're, we're bringing out some things about um, kind of worship culture and youth culture. And I would even include kind of like Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby Christian culture. Uh, <laughs> I like Chick-fil-A, but just because they're closed on Sunday does not mean like you do not find your salvation just because you did one thing, right? You do not find your salvation because you sang the wrong, the right songs or you didn't sing the wrong songs. You don't find salvation in participating in silly games every Wednesday night. There's nothing wrong with those things but when we decide that the mood that they give us is more important than the disciplines they should be teaching us then we've yep. gotten out of whack and so again disciplines can help us fortify our minds and um there's a multitude of ones more than i've mentioned and this is where we come together as a community of faith this is why every episode pastor dylan says thank you for joining us but also be a part of your local congregation yep. because this within itself will not help you. This with other things, with other disciplines, will provide fortification of your mind. Yeah, and to build off of that, Isidore of Seville, he said, when we pray, we talk to God, but when we read, God talks to us. And of course, he was an advocate. Learn everything you can. And I'm going to close off things you could do to fortify your mind with one that's going to sound probably crazy, but I promise you, this is something one needs to be doing. Work on precise language. And I know, that makes me sound like that horrible person you know who's a grammar Nazi saying, expand your vocabulary. But I can verify the church is moving in a direction where the language is going down. We're not using language well. People want to use common and more common language. And on the surface level, that seems to be okay. But as great theologians, people before us, people like G.K. Chesterton said, we've been lowering the bar and lowering the bar and lowering the bar. What has that gained us? It doesn't gain us anything. And all of us, no matter where you're at, learning precise language, expanding your vocabulary, reading everything you can kind of get your hands on, read scripture, learn in scripture, read encyclopedias, learn about things, learn new words, and try to use them with precise meaning. Have accurate use of language. A lot of times the church likes to do things which are vague. We've got to this place where we use words. There's no articles, no prepositions. Don't conjugate the words, you know. Anthony always talks about how worship has become an unconjugated mood. Like worship is mood. Not a mood or the mood of worship, but worship is mood. Well, the crazy thing is, is uh, you know, actually, Pastor Dylan sort of alluded to that first. He said that worship is a mood, but people at school were talking about it and it's so weird it's like their subconscious unlocks something it's like they realize something about themselves and about chapel and about 
their enjoyment of the church. It was so crazy. But um, they literally started saying, worship is mood. And they were like all agreeing with it. And they were like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And they were into it at first. And yeah. then it's like they realized, hold up, wait a second. There's something wrong about that. Like, <laughs> hey, don't you know, do that. Worship shouldn't be yeah. about my mood. Don't. You know, it's like all of a sudden they start yeah. realizing, they're like, it's not mood. They started to back out. And I was like, no, you were right the first time. <laughs> the way that, the way frequently that, you know, the university uh, and many of the uh, worship services that they enjoy do worship is unconjugated mood. And and again, don't do that. And don't use language like that. I, I hate that I, I am saying this, but using language, and I can't believe like the 20-year-old version of myself, if my <laughs> if I went back and met my, the version of myself that's Anthony's age, the younger version would definitely beat me up. Still <laughs> athletic from rugby and things would just finish me off now. But um, using language, it is phenomenally helpful. It, it expands your mind, like learning new words, learning to use them precisely. Words don't have whatever meaning you attribute to them. We live in a day and age, the news media, Facebook, places like that, they're just guilty of. We want every word to mean what we want it to be so we can twist it and play word games because a lot of times we don't have real apparent villains in life. We live a very luxurious life here where we're at in the 21st century. You know, we've, we don't, we live longer. We have a lot of good things going on. Um, we're not all worried about getting the plague. Um, we forget that not everything means what we want to mean. There's actually objective truth. And using precise language, especially when it comes to theological things, not just what fits or what rhymes, but using precise language. And I always say good theology comes with a good use of prepositions. And the older I get, the more I realize how true that is. You know, it's the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. It's not just anything that we do, but Christ's faithfulness to do the work on the cross, to come and save us. That is where our salvation is found. You know, in the church, it is an instrument where... God works through the church, learning to use language precisely. You know, there's this temptation, you know, drop off um, words like of and the. Even when our program, Kingdom of the Logos, a lot of people would just refer to it as like Logos ministry. And I'm like, no, 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 it's Kingdom of the Logos. You can conjugate it. Even if you want to say the Kingdom of the Logos, I'm fine with that. Um, use precise language. Don't get in the trap of using the vague, wide-sweeping language. So that's the final thought I have. So wrapping up apostasy so we can let you go from this. Um, if anyone has endured through this, um, this has been a long program and hasn't been as saucy as some of the other stuff we've done. Apostasy is a real problem in the church, and it has been. It sows division and chaos, and most often we find its roots, roots in perverse theological teachings and trajectories that have strayed outside from the orthodox teachings of the church. In conclusion, this is a serious battle that the enemy is engaging in with the church, and it will attack anyone and everyone in the congregation. So let us hold fast to the advice given to Timothy in the early church. And that is a wonderful closing statement. So, and I didn't write it. <laughs> Pastor Mike's responsible for that. So I'm not just saying what I said is, is great. I realize that would come off rather posh. Um, anyways, with that, we hope you've enjoyed us. As Amanda said, be faithful to your local fellowship. God love you and have a blessed day.